This is the Roaring Elephant podcast for the 20th of November 2018, a podcast about Apache Hadoop and the surrounding ecosystem for anybody working with or investigating big data and advanced analytics. My name is John, and here's my birthday co-host Dave. I'm metaphorically blowing a horn and wearing a party hat. And respecting our audience by the same time by not blowing that horn. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much, yeah. So, yeah, it's a bit of a different episode this time. Another year. Yes, it's our anniversary episode. It's three years now, man. Three years, baby. I know. Three years, 115 episodes. Yeah. Yeah. I I knew this. When we started this, I knew we were going to go for a million. Guaranteed. <laughs> a million milliseconds of recorded. Uh, uh, yes, see, yeah. that, that, that's also my marketing attempt, right? All the marketing slides always show these nice graphs without any kind of legend on the bars on the axis. <laughs> that's how you make graphs. That's how things become right. good. <laughs> okay. The graph just goes up and to the right, yeah? Oh, <laughs> well, as long as there's no axis labels, it can do whatever it wants. It can do a spiral. Okay, nice. I look forward to that. <laughs> Well, you had the episode a couple of months ago about the R graphs that could do whatever you wanted to do, so there must have been a spiral in there. That is true. I think there was, actually. Yeah, you're right. Oh, boy. Hey, what a, what a year has it has been. Indeed. Indeed. As you say, episode uh, 115, which is our birthday episode, which means, following our tradition, we invite uh, people that we've talked to over the last year to come back on and uh, say hi and update uh, us and our glorious audience as to what they've been up to. We've had an interesting selection of people, and uh, hopefully you'll find it enlightening and interesting. So you're already giving away that this is pre-recorded and not live or anything like that? Yeah, sorry, broken that fourth wall, snapped it in half, (laughs) put it in the bin. Yeah, we had a nice, uh, I mean, I invited everybody, of course, and had a lot of people uh, getting back to us. And uh, you'll hear Dave talking a lot more than I was because I was uh, doing uh, t- texting people about when that they could get on and what link they should use and making sure their audio are working and things like that. So I kind of lost the first uh, conversations there, but I did listen. Once again, you're doing all the hard work. It's true. <laughs> See how much I have to, to have to fish for those compliments. I have to do. <laughs> But yeah, we had a lot of great people on. Uh, we'll do a little recap at uh, at the end of the episode, let's say. And um, yeah, I mean, unless you have anything else to talk to before we have our guests, so for, which are much more interesting than we are. On. This is true. Let's, no, let's, let's get into it and hand it over to the guests. Well, let's get to our first guest. And our first guest is on the Skype channel. We've got Ward Becker on. Uh, if, you're, if you're happy, I'm going to... Let him join the conversation. Yeah, let's go. Yes, I'm joining. Hello, John. Hello, Wardbecker. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. I can even say, here's Dave, because he joined eventually. Hello. (laughs) Hello, Dave. (laughs) And it's it's kind of interesting because Ward and I haven't talked too much over the last week and a half because this is my first day back at work. Ah. (laughs) Yeah, because for the un, uh, uh, people that aren't in the known, both Ward and Dave are working at Hortonworks, of course. Yep, I need to put up with this guy uh, uh, for a whole week. You only have to have it for two hours per week. <laughs> hey, I used to be at Hortonworks, now you know where I left. 
<laughs> oh, feel the love. Feel the love in the air. Uh, uh, so actually, I, I'm, I'm quite surprised that uh, Dave was able to find a proper internet connection. Uh, I'm actually uh, I'm actually squatting at a friend's house for for the purposes of recording um, episodes until I actually have broadband back at uh, the new house. So uh, yes, thanks to uh, Andy and Caroline for putting up for me up with me while I'm uh, squatting in their dining room currently. Right. <laughs> hey guys, uh, uh, I just want to give you a quick congratulations uh, for three years of podcasting. Thank you. Woohoo! So, um, how how many years uh, are you gonna plan to go do this? Well, until Dave drives me away, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> to the end of big yeah. data. Yeah, until until big data sort of dies a uh, a death, which of course is about every six to eight weeks, according to the internet. It's imminent every day. Yeah, now. <laughs> it's, it's like the uh, the end of the earth. That's always imminent, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, looking at how the whole open source thing is uh, is evolving the last couple of months, uh, I don't predict the future anymore. <laughs> it's, we live in a uh, tumultuous time. It's it's certainly true. So anyway, Ward, can you tell us what you've been been up to lately? Uh, yeah, sure. So so I've been uh, doing the solution engineering stuff at Hortonworks. Um, since then so no difference in that so um so apparently there's a, a merger coming along caldera and us uh and hortonworks so uh, that's that's happening of course i i'm probably will be shot if i talk and say anything about it <laughs> so uh no news from me uh around that uh what i've been uh, doing publicly is uh, that i've been recently speaking speaking at the activate conference uh, which was hosted by lucidworks and it was, of course, around my favorite topic, Apache Metron. So Hooray! I did that. Yay! Together with <laughs> Scott Coates, uh, who's a Loosedworks engineer, uh, working on uh, solar blob storage uh, for the people that are familiar with solar. And um, yeah, it was actually quite timely uh, to have that uh, presentation there because uh, for the people that follow Apache Metron, uh, Metron was historically using Elasticsearch as part of the system for real-time search. But since uh, recent releases, uh, we have actually made Apache Solar the default, um, the recommended default, because um, the reason for that switch is that um, it provides a 100% open source solution for authentication and authorization. Uh, because it integrates quite well with Apache Ranger. So uh, that was a uh, good time to talk about it because Lucidworks, as people might know, is uh, one of the companies that provides commercial support around Apache Solar and was also the host of that conference. So um, for the people that are interested in that, um, the slides I think are online at SlideShare on the Lucidworks channel. And I think the videos, I already saw some videos coming up at the Lucidworks YouTube channel. So I'm probably any day now when this Metron talk is also going to be there and you can uh, see me speak and talk together with uh, Scott Coates around Metron. So um, yeah, it's uh, been busy. Fantastic. And so you were, we had you back on in August, I think it was, episode 95, where we had you uh, talking to us about the DataWorks Summit San Jose. Um, so it sounds like you've been doing, doing the rounds, speaking and attending. 
Yes, indeed, indeed. So uh, uh, looking at it from both sides. I'm, I must say, when I'm uh, busy preparing the talk, next time uh, I'm, I'm thinking of uh, definitely just attending next time and not speaking. <laughs> it's much more enjoyable. <laughs> and uh, there's sort of obviously the the conference specifically more around uh, LucidWorks and Solar and all those kind of things. What did you get a, a different feel from that conference to more of the typical traditional big data conferences, or you know, was it a different different atmosphere, different focus there, or was it all very familiar to you? Well, what what was very interested uh, of interesting for me was that I, I I first thought, okay, this is going to be about Apache Solar, so uh, information systems, indexing data, uh, uh, relevancy, relevancy ranking, that kind of stuff. And f uh, to a certain extent, that was still true. But what you also saw, there was a very heavy focus on AI. And usually when companies talk about AI, it's like, uh, yeah, uh, kind of a magic formula. But <laughs> I think they really doubled down in the keynotes um, around really um, in-depth, deep dive around what AI means and what it means in relationship to their um, offerings, their solutions. Um, so it was was yeah really really interesting to see that because normally it it, it goes quite high level but this was really deep down and, and sometimes I thought it was maybe a little bit too deep for most of the audience. Um, <laughs> however, I, I really thoroughly enjoyed it uh, because of my technical backgrounds because I had like okay yes no no marketing slides about artificial intelligence but real professors talking about real stuff and uh, yeah that. Uh, was I think not for everybody in the audience. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of interesting that everybody is, uh, I mean, AI washing would be a little bit harsh, but everyone is putting an increased focus on uh, AI and machine learning. It seems in, in you know, all the major events are, are sort of weaving that into, certainly if not the title, then the uh, the early subtitle in what they're doing. Yeah, exactly. And um um, that was definitely the case for a lot of uh, conferences uh, uh, that I paid attention to in the last uh, few uh, months. However, I, th I think they, they really are serious here. Um, mm. And it's not not, uh, not AI washing or that, that kind of stuff. I think they yeah. really uh, uh, made a serious effort to uh, double down on the investment for uh, AI and uh, machine learning. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, it's. Uh, I, I believe you're a bit pressed for time um, this evening. Yeah, I, I unfortunately need to drop off. But um, yeah, I wish you a, a lot of fun with uh, the rest of the. How do you say that? The celebrations. Celebrations. <laughs> celebrate. Yeah, I was thinking of saying celebrations or drinking. I'm not sure what, you, what you're doing right now. But um, uh, yeah, um, stressing so, a lot of stress. <laughs> a lot of stress. Okay, great. Well, congratulations <laughs> anyway, um, and uh, enjoy uh, the celebrations. And uh, yeah, hope to uh, have another three years of uh, your excellent podcast in my podcast client. No problem at all. Well, thanks as thanks always, Ward. And okay. uh, yeah, take care and have fun. Okay, bye bye. bye, -bye. Cheers. Bye, Ward. So thanks, Ward, for uh, joining us on our birthday celebrations. We have now dialing in uh, Rohit from Eskin to talk to us a little bit about what's been happening at Travodian. Yeah, let's see if I can plug him in here. So uh, 
welcome, uh, welcome back. It's been a little while since we uh, since we last talked to you about uh, Apatri Travodian. How have things been going? Pretty good, pretty good. Um, yeah, we've been uh, progressing on that front. We've done a, a lot of work on the SKNDB, which is really based on Apache Trafodian. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, so we, you know, we have got customers who are driving us to provide all sorts of uh, new functionality and capability into the product. So that's what we have been focused and focused on and working on. So, um, yeah, so I, I, I don't know last time, uh, frankly, maybe how much we talked about SKNDB, um, yeah. but we had... Ex- expanded uh, Apache Trafodian to support uh, also columnist stores such as Apache Orc and uh, and Parquet. And so that's been a lot of the focus uh, with so many of the customers. Um, but now, as you know, customers are really getting into, you know, even on-prem, sort of a cloud deployment type model mm. where they want uh, dynamic provisioning um, they want multiple tenants on the same uh, in the same instance, and so forth, and be able to manage the resources allocated to the different tenants, um, even within, say, SKNDB. And so, uh, we have been uh, we have put all that functionality in for customers to to be able to do that. Um, you know, letting C groups, of course, uh, in the infrastructure, to be able to provide that sort of flexibility from. Uh, and so that's, you know, the cloud deployments uh, are becoming much more uh, prevalent now. So, yeah. so that's, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, it sounds like from, uh, had a quick look at the uh, the blog page earlier, it looks like you're moving towards a, a 2.3 release at the moment. Well, actually, we had, uh, <laughs> might be needed to be updated. Because ah. uh, we, yeah, we we released the two point four version, and we're actually wow. working on releasing two point five now. So yeah. Oh, fantastic! So re- you've been making some uh, some really strong uh, improvements in the the platform, then. Yeah, uh, on yeah, certainly on the SKNDB side, which has been much more the the BI analytics side. Um, mm-hmm. We have made some enhancements to the uh, to the Trafodian side as well. Um, you know, focusing on some of the uh, backup restore kind of capabilities and, and things like that, um, uh, you know, point-in-time recovery. Uh, so it's been mostly mostly enterprise-type capabilities that, you know, now customers are asking for because the environment now on the big data side is maturing quite a bit and they obviously need the same kind of capabilities that they, you know, they had with, with proprietary uh, environments that they were working on, right? Um, whether that be uh, uh, Teradata or Oracle or, you know, depending on which side of the house the, the applications are coming from. So, so yeah, I think nice. they're expecting similar capability. And, and of course, it's actually different in some respects because you don't have that dynamic provisioning and, and the multi-tenancy and so forth in the, in the, in the Oracle and Teradata environment. Mm. So it's, a, it's an added challenge, right? So you have to have... A security by tenant, for instance, which is a little bit different. Uh, you know, you have you have namespaces by tenants, so even within the same instance. So these are the kinds of the new interesting challenges that one has to face from a database perspective that perhaps you didn't have to in some of the proprietary environments. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you mentioned that a lot of this is coming from sort of uh, customer feedback and customer demand. So you're 
for, for sort of asking DB, you're seeing a nice uh, uptick in uh, customers and that sort of thing as well. Well, we are seeing, especially in the, in, in China, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I think that you you probably are very familiar with the fact that in the US anyway, there's just a, um, I mean, there's another database almost coming out every other day, every every other week, I would say. <laughs> uh, and so I, you know, I go to these conferences like the you know, Strata conference. I'm actually a reviewer uh, on, on the proposals. And it's very really interesting when I see these proposals coming in with, you know, uh, new databases uh, and, and so forth all the time. Uh, and and it, it can be very confusing. And it's just not databases, of course. The, the issue is there's a, there's a large ecosystem that's been growing and, and there's a lot of, um, I would say, quote-unquote, redundancy. I mean, the whole point of open source was more collaborative effort. And what what we are seeing is that we've got many more, actually, options now. And, and that can be very confusing for a customer. Um, on China, on China, in China, we have had pretty good luck. I mean, we have been uh, working with some very, very large uh, customers like China Mobile, China Unicom, China uh, you know some of the union pay, um, you know. So so we we have some very large customers there. So that's been pretty exciting uh, on that side. Uh, in the U.S., we have had we have uh, had some really strong customers as well, uh, really pushing us on the on the cloud front and the multi tenancy front and so forth. So that so all of that helps. Um, now we we've been looking at some multi cloud, you know, um, hybrid cloud type environments because that's another requirement that we are seeing coming up with the enterprises, you know, separation of compute and storage, uh, which is always an impact on, on database and database performance. Um, yeah. You know, the whole block storage versus uh, object storage challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so those are all things that are very interesting and challenging at the same time, because you sort of have to, you know, provide that level of performance uh, with some of these environments that are not necessarily I mean, they're cheap, but they're not necessarily high performance. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, so you, you you have to sort of balance balance that out because expectations from the customer don't necessarily change commensurate with the price. So, uh, a lot a lot of times. So. Yeah, I've noticed that, isn't it? It's strange how that uh, how that occurs. You know, a service is twenty uh, percent of the cost of a service they're used to, yet they expect the same or better performance. Um, I mean, there are some technologies out there where where it works out, but often, often there's some kind of trade-off. Yeah, and I think if you are a new greenfield deployment, maybe you don't see this as much because you don't have a comparative basis. But well, what's happening is a lot of customers are now moving existing deployments on-prem over to the cloud. Right? I mean, there's there's a concerted effort to do to do that to reduce you know infrastructure cost and, and maintenance and all that yeah and that's yeah. where actually the challenges occur because you have some sort of expectations of of the performance and right away as you move to a vm environment you know any cloud environment um you're going to find that there is going to be an impact on performance even you could you could actually over, over allocate uh, in some respects to sort of compensate for some of that <clears throat> but uh, even so, uh, we know that the cloud providers like AWS and all they they, they have multiple tenants really running, um, you know, virtual. So you're co-located with other tenants on the same hardware. And even though the technology has gotten better, where VMs are protected from each other for the most part, there is still uh, a, a neighbor impact, right? Uh, you know, so noise. 
that that you incur and and that can affect maybe not you know the performance might be impacted a little bit your your throughput and your um, you know stability that you expect like at peak hours might be impacted uh, so mm-hmm. so that's that's one aspect of it because you, you it's not predictable uh, response times necessarily uh, it may vary based on what other neighborhood neighbor, you know what what your neighbors are doing at that point um, but also I think as 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 you as you start doing this multi uh, tenant deployments and so forth, it's it's uh, it's not quite as flexible as you would think it is uh, from a perspective of uh, being responsive to the to the requirements and needs performance needs. And so, yeah. so there is certainly impact of performance. And and you know if you start okay, then looking at object storage and things like that, uh, people have to assess that uh, if you separate storage and compute there is an impact you know uh, that we see so yeah, sometimes substantial sometimes minimal but certainly there is an impact because there's a benefit of co-location of data and processing which was the yeah. whole idea behind uh, Hadoop and all that in the first place so, exactly. so the point That's is that, that uh, pe- people don't weigh and balance that out um, and somehow the expectation is that they would get the same sort of SLAs that they would on a, on-prem so that's kind of where we are um, challenged in a way to to sort of address that need at the same time educate the customer to you know have a more balanced approach and and at least ex, you know set the expectations appropriately right so yeah very much so um so i mean obviously the the move to cloud the, the hybrid nature the separation of compute and storage are all sort of very much ongoing themes i mean typically Obviously, we last spoke back in uh, back in sort of March, uh, February, March this year, and there's a lot mm. of things have changed since then. So, I mean, how is how do you think the the state of big data and uh, and open source has evolved uh, since earlier on in the year? I think it I think it's evolving to a point where it's uh, it's it's still there's still a lot of companies that are still you know trying to make sense out of it and all that. There are a lot of companies that do not really have the kind of skills and those skills are very hard to come by. And I think that's every conference and, and, uh, you know, talk that I go to, I I hear that a lot. You know, the the companies are having a real challenge finding talented people. So, so, but you do have the Ubers and the Lyfts and, you know, uh, the Netflixes and so forth who are sort of leading efforts and, and growing. And, and so there are a lot of enterprises now getting to the point of maturity where they are um, getting to some of the new challenges that we are we are we are seeing, uh, there is certainly a trend towards uh, the cloud, and it's it's sort of a mixed bag because at the same time as uh, you know people are going to the to the cloud and they're trying to adopt some of the um, some of the technologies that the cloud providers provide, like AWS has its own set of you know. Um, the you know, smorgasbord of of of, of uh, you know tools and and uh, you know products that they they provide uh, you know it, uh, Azure has its own, um, but at the same time, it, it, the, so people are embracing these environments and committing to them, which is sort of is contradictory to this whole hybrid and uh, multi-cloud because you mm. ultimately, you, if you have a skill challenge, then the last thing you want is to scale up on, on multiple technologies. Um, and, and you would rather just standardize on something that you can run on-prem, run on different clouds and, and, and cloud environments and so forth. 
But also from an operational standpoint, it becomes an issue um, if you're trying to operate multiple different types of databases and so forth and so on. So, yeah. Yeah, so it's yeah. uh, it's an interesting trend. Uh, there's much more of a cloud trend. As, uh, we, of course, have introduced a capability since then, uh, which is uh, we, uh, we call as Strato, which is our uh, database as a service offering. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and certainly, so that's that's something that, you know, you, you are seeing, of course, a lot of is, is a database as a service offerings. And and uh, again, so that's kind of part of the part of the challenge is if you don't have standardization across, then it leads to operational complexity, managing different databases, different operational, you know, you have to scale up on that. Um, and so in some sense, it's, it's a little bit of, of a contradiction as to how things are moving in the industry where you know cloud providers are certainly doing well and people are adopting their technologies but at the same time there is this desire to be you know multi multi you know hybrid and, and multi-cloud which sort of is a little bit contradictory because you can't get the same uh, same capabilities on-prem for instance or you can't have the same uh, uh, database that you're running on aws necessarily on azure um, so so that's yeah. that's what we've been seeing since then is this is this trend towards cloud suddenly and cloud deployments and and this challenge with with this hybrid and multi cloud uh, environments um, but but the maturity of the whole you know certainly from a large enterprise they they are maturing they they're trying to come up with uh, you know technologies that will basically uh, reduce the cost reduce the operational overhead um, and and make it easier to deploy you know databases and all that uh, provision them be elastic. Uh, this whole containers containerization issue with uh, mm. persistence on databases. I mean certainly yeah. that's a big challenge and there are people trying to address that. You know how do you uh, deal with persistence uh, and as well as have uh, you know con- the, the flexibility of containerization. So so these are all interesting trends that we have seen this year. Um, while we, we still have a large number of you know companies still trying to you know get familiar with the space and and start trying to do something in the space, uh, again I think that what I see is that um, there are some people of course they are doing some really good uh, you know work in the um, ML machine learning and and uh, and AI space, um, but a lot of them are really getting this big data environment you know, set up with um, and, and really using classic BI type tools to do their analysis and so forth mm. right now. So they, they're at that phase where they want to leverage it with some basics that they are familiar with, right? Before they can get the skills and understanding and, and, uh, and some use cases where they can start um, proving out the ML and AI capabilities. So, Yeah, very good, very good. I mean, I... Certainly, your comment about the uh, uh, about the sort of the hybrid and multi cloud nature and that sort of thing certainly very much strikes home. I'm I'm always still surprised the number of organisations that say you know they they fed up with all of their the lock in that they've had from their you know, name your EDW vendor of choice and then they say right. so we're going you know lock stock and barrel to a another cloud providers, you know, local um, custom services, and uh, right. sort of, <laughs> you know, you realize you're just trading one lock in for another lock in, don't you? So, right, yeah, right. interesting yeah, times, yeah, interesting it, times. Yeah, I call it Hotel California. You check in, we pronounce it that. 
Very good. Very good. Yeah. All right. So, obviously, this is our, our three-year anniversary recording. Yes, we've been doing this for three whole years so far. Um, really, congratulations anything that you, you Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Yeah. Is there anything you'd like to, uh, you know, let our, let our audience know that you're going to be up to either sort of towards the end of the year or early in the new year? No, I think that uh, we basically are, like I said, we just introduced uh, uh, this uh, Strato, Esgen Strato. And so we are certainly looking for customers who would be wanting to leverage database as a service. And what we have a version of it, which we call essentially, uh, you know, it's like a full managed service. So we, uh, it's, it's like a white glove kind of service where, you, you know, the customer doesn't have to worry about the database at all. We'll work throughout with the customer. They just have to worry on the application side, and we'll take care of the database side. Now, I don't know how how, how comfortable people are going to be with that, and so that's something that we want to actually uh, evaluate. But that really, you know, reduces the complexity of learning and scaling up on on the database and trying to manage mm-hmm. it and get the performance they need and all that. So take that out of the equation, so make it really easy for them to deploy some of the big data applications they have. So that's. Uh, we are looking for customers who want to do that and partner with us on it. So that's really mostly what I have to do. All say. right, no problem. Well, maybe we'll uh, we'll have to get you back to talk about that uh, in a bit more detail in the new year. Sure, that'd be great. All right, perfect. Well, thanks very much uh, for your time and uh, all the best. Yeah. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks, Rohit. And uh, fast progressing straight from Rohit onto Sanjeev from Streamlio to talk to us about all the exciting things of Pulsar. Uh, Let me push the right button. Sanjeev, can you hear us? Hi, Sanjeev. Hi. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. It's a pleasure. So we had uh, had you back on, I think it was episode, episode 101 and episode 103 um, to talk, talk to us and our audience about Apache Pulsar. And uh, that was that was back when you were sort of announcing version 2.0. So uh, welcome back, and uh, how have you been? Uh, doing great. Uh, thank you for inviting us, and congratulations, first of all. This is a great anniversary, and uh, I'm very happy, happy to be here and talking to you as you celebrate. Um, yeah, uh, we've been doing great. Um, you know, uh, as as people uh, might remind, we went uh, top level project uh, yeah. in uh, September, and that was a great milestone for us. And uh, the feedback from the community, the engagement level has really skyrocketed as soon as we went TLP. Fantastic, and I I, I continue to mention this because I'm always uh, I'm always impressed um, when I take a look at it. But the the blog. Uh, page for Apache Pulsar, I always find to be incredibly, um, incredibly usable. The the, the articles that uh, go in there are, are always really, really quite good. So uh, there's there's still some great work going on there. Thank you. Thanks a lot. And one of the really heartening things that we've been sort of increasingly noticing is that uh, what initially a lot of the blogs came from either Yahoo or Yahoo Japan or Streamlio. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of the recent content has been from outsiders from these three, uh, which just shows great community momentum as people are trying it out and adopting uh, Pulsar as the choice of their next generation stack. Wonderful, wonderful. So, so what's happening? Uh, what's happening next? What are you sort of? Uh, 
winding up towards at the the tail end of the year here? Uh, you know, so I, uh, you know, we just released uh, Pulsar 2.2. That was a couple of weeks mm-hmm. ago. Uh, Pulsar 2.2 was uh, was actually one of the biggest releases so far. Uh, it's as significant as us going 2.0. Uh, you know, we we had a lot of features, but one of the most standout features there was uh, True SQL. Uh, yeah. So now your data is there in, in Pulsar, and with 2.1, we added tiered storage, wherein you can actually retain the data for as long as you want using cheap storage like S3 and so on. But now with 2.2, you can actually now query the data. So uh, we are truly uh, becoming uh, a stream storage, wherein your streams come in, your streams get uh, dispatched to whoever consumers they want in real time. And not only that, you can store these streams forever and then use point your, uh, you know, uh, uh, graphs and charts and tableaus and so on and so forth uh, to this and uh, extract meaningful SQL queries uh, on top of this corpus of data that uh, that you've accumulated. So that was a huge milestone for us, um, the 2.2. Wonderful. And, uh, you know, what's the the customer adoption been like since... uh uh, since I know you mentioned that there's been certainly significant interest uptick since uh, going top level project, but uh, I'm assuming there's been some some nice uh, nice growth as an organisation as well. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So the number of uh, inbound requests has has exploded uh, in the recent months, um, and we have actually gone live with a few customers and are going live this week as we speak with a few more. Uh, so great, uh, you know, great amount of work, great amount of uh, you know night outs that we have actually been spending to make sure that everything <laughs> is up and great. Um, but it, it it's all part of the fun, um, you know. So and we are loving every minute of it. Fantastic. So all all onwards with growth, onwards and upwards with growth at Streamlio then? Uh, absolutely. Uh, 2018 was, uh, you know, where Pulsar uh, sort of became, uh, you know, widely known, uh, you know, and I think 2019 is we are going to only continue on that uh, on that banner year of 2018 and making it even more popular, even more widely deployed and adopted. Perfect. Perfect. So... Thank you very much for joining us uh, to celebrate our our three-year anniversary of the Roaring Elephant podcast. Great to have you on and uh, look forward to chatting again in the new year. Yeah, uh, congratulations again and happy to be back. Perfect. Thanks very much. Thank you. Bye, Sanjeev. And that was Sanjeev from Streamlio. And Thanks for joining, following Sanjeev. right on his heels, we are now going to talk to Phil Radley from BT. Our favourite red shirt. Hey, Phil. Indeed. Good evening, g- gentlemen. I-, I hear there's a party going on. <laughs> well, it's a lot of hard work for me, but Dave is partying. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, Phil. You're Welcome doing back. all the work, Jan. Uh, yeah, Thank I, you. I it's got It's always the way. It's always the way. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, we we obviously caught up, up with you back in September, episode one hundred and five, to talk a little bit about uh, your your journey with BT through the world of uh, of big data and Hadoop. So uh, congratulations and welcome back. Yes, thank you. Uh, and like about three weeks after that, um, the two colours of elephant mix themselves together. I think it's now going to be a cyan <laughs> elephant now. Uh, 
Yeah. Interesting we've, times, I believe. We've been very quiet about Indeed. that subject because Dave isn't allowed to talk about it legally. So. I don't think anybody <laughs> is at the moment. <laughs> well, you are. <laughs> oh, well, I am. I'm a customer, so I can say what I like, I suppose. But yes. yes. Yeah, but interesting um, times in the yeah, open so source this, world. Yes. So this is um, recording this the day before Big Data London 2018. Uh-huh. And I'm on a panel session with a certain Doug Cutting and Mike Stonebreaker tomorrow afternoon, the Big Data Debate. Outstanding. It's going to be an interesting session. Have you had a, a set of pre-warmed questions, or is it all going to be live on the day? Uh, I am sort of representing uh, my sort of peers in terms of the enterprise people at the event who have to sort of make sense of all this technology and try and use it to the good of the business. (laughs) Um, And I think everybody else on the stage is either, you know, uh, sort of an academic or uh, from uh, um, uh, enterprise IT suppliers. We have Microsoft there and and Doug. Um, Of course. uh, All those kind of guys. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. I'm going to be asking some interesting questions. I know Mr. Stonebreaker is known for his opinions on pretty much everything, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And also, obviously, enormously experienced. So it's quite an honour to be uh, on the stage with a cheering award winner and serial entrepreneur, uh, some very important technologies. So, yeah, it's going to be an interesting uh, session. Now, feel free to spoil it because this will only go out after your session happens. So, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> I, I, I'm hoping it goes well. Otherwise, I might be manically contacting you saying you can't send this out under any circumstances. That's <laughs> <laughs> all right. A, a few edits here and edits there. Yeah. It'll be yes, fine. Exactly. <laughs> Let me know before Friday so I can still edit it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But uh, yeah. So, and it's a panel being moderated by uh, Mike Ferguson, who's a very well-known um, sort of researcher and independent consultant in, in uh, all things data. So, yeah, it's going to be very interesting. And then I'm um, – on the Tuesday, on the second day, I'm doing a little talk, um, which is a little update. I'm actually doing a fun talk. I did a, a talk um, – actually, it was another one with Doug in uh, a Hadoop Summit in Amsterdam in 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Where – we, we boldly called it the future of enterprise data, which is spectacularly <laughs> brash of us. Um, uh, we're attempting to predict what would what we see happening in the trends. Uh, and yeah. so when, How did you when do push predicting? came to shove, well, so there you go. So um, when push came to shove, they said, oh, would you mind doing something at Big Data London 2018? I said, uh, okay. Uh, so how about I dust out the old slides and look back and see how well we did. Uh-huh. So uh, I'm going to do uh, the Future of Enterprise Data Volume 2 subtitled The Difficult Second Album. <laughs> 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 Which is sort of to come back and uh, uh, have a go at, you know, well, how well did we do on our predictions? I must admit, looking back at the slide deck, they, they were fairly soft uh predictions oh, that oh, were so that's no yes. fun <laughs> thing, things like hardware gets cheaper which is kind of <laughs> <laughs> look at graphic cards that didn't work <laughs> Fair, fairly safe bet um so uh but it's interesting because uh 
actually, I mean, it, it, we even in that four years, we're now seeing, and this is something that uh, I think the people that are doing big data on premise need to keep on top of. We're now seeing four socket servers. Mm-hmm. So both both Dell and a couple of other companies, Lenovo, are selling four sockets. So that's uh, 128 cores and a two RU form factor. Um, so obviously that keeps keeps your node count down, keeps your um, power consumption your, up, your density up. Yeah, and and there's an amazing technology which um, <clears throat> you would have heard of 3D Crosspoint uh, from Intel, the kind of NVMe type technology, but they have yeah. introduced a new form a new form factor called the ruler, which is, literally looks like a 12 inch ruler, 30 centimeters. Um, <laughs> Uh, and in a one RU form factor, you can stuff them in, and you can put a petabyte, which is an extraordinary. Yeah, it's completely bonkers amount of storage uh, NVMe. So, yeah. um, I can't discuss costs, obviously, but uh, if you think, okay, now I can get 128 cores and a petabyte, in, but I, you know, I think that we could collapse our entire cluster into probably about three quarters of rack or something like that. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, so that hardware for those that are on premise getting cheaper thing is still relevant. I think the thing that we yeah. didn't spot was, uh, the cloud thing. That was the bit that I couldn't see anywhere in our slides. So, Oh, okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, that, and, and also the GPUs, I'm going back to the hardware thing. So GPU yeah. enablement now. So, but most of the modern servers are now taking already certified with GPUs. So you can, uh, either do your machine learning in the GPU or some mm-hmm. people are doing database acceleration type things. So. Yeah, um, yeah. Even FPGAs are coming back now. I mean, if you look at uh, Google yes, and Amazon and uh, Azure, we could have FPGAs in the cloud now. Yes. Who'd absolutely. have thought that that so, came back? You know, but, uh, very, you know, interesting times. Um, yeah, so that was kind of one prediction which we did kind of okay on. Um, uh and I said that I thought Hadoop would be important for enterprise. Um, and I wasn't quite sure at that time. It was very, I think we just launched production, I think, at the time. Yeah. And we weren't, we weren't quite that clear on, on all our use cases. But um, uh, it has definitely delivered value. Um, yeah. One would hope. On, <laughs> yes. <laughs> finally done it, man. Uh, so um, probably one of the early use cases was uh, the, the big open reach one, which was uh, uh, if you're a communication provider now, when you call into open reach now, they will um, they give you a thing called a BRAG score for a copper line, so a line accessing mm-hmm. house, and that that one has really transformed the industry, and that has stopped millions of, of wasted engineering visits over the couple of years that it's been in production. So that was kind, of, and that was something we just couldn't have done because. Um, it was classic schema on read was the thing mm. there was, was we were taking data sets from databases that um, we didn't have the documented schemas for they were locked deep into application code um, yeah you know we, 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 we probably could have got there in the end just do design but we just managed to do it so much faster by doing it um, by, by doing it with the actual data sets themselves so uh, that was kind of a uh, scheme on read, I think, was the big thing, and I think that um, that it takes a while for people to uh, to kind of figure out why that is a valuable thing because it's not, you know, as a, as a data architect, it's not an intuitively good thing that you just have buckets of files with bits in and um, 
and we'll uh, just connect them up seemingly randomly magically <laughs> yes <Yeah>. exactly <laughs> So, so, but yeah, it, but it has its place, and and I think it's one of those things that again, for a, um, you know a a new company, so um, perhaps a single single platform or single business company, if you're a gaming company or mm-hmm. um, you know those kind of things, it's not such a big issue because you probably still know all your schemas. But for a large mature enterprise that's you know over a hundred years old and technology that's not quite that old, but sometimes it feels like it. Um, then uh, you know there's definitely a place for reassembling schemas and checking things. So that's been good from a prediction point of view. Yeah, yeah. Well, so I think the the, the big miss was uh, was cloud. Um, so and it's yeah. interesting. I was looking at the dates. Um, uh, amazingly, Amazon launched EMR in 2009. Um, I mean, which you know, it's just the, they do this with their product launches they just put stuff out there and see what happens yeah and um if i remember rightly it was just it was just a it was just a footnote though along the you know hundreds literally hundreds of other services that they launched you know that year it was yes it wasn't until probably i'm trying to remember when i first heard about emr being actually used by people and i I have a feeling it wasn't until probably late 2013, mm. somewhere around that sort of time. Yeah, so I, I think I have, it was, yeah. It was, I think it was beta in 2009, so I don't know how long it's been in that sort of phase, but yeah. early, what they call it, early access or something. Yeah, yeah. Preview. But yeah, it's, it's kind so, of, uh, it's amusing that we, we think about this 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 sphere that we spend so much of our time in at the moment as having been around forever, but actually, as you say, you know, in four in four years, it's changed massively. And you know, yeah. going back a little bit further than that, you know, it never even existed. Exactly, and 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 to me, the the big surprise to us was the was the pivot in when was it twenty fifteen from from Matt Reduce to, to Spark. Mm. Um, which was, you know, completely out of the blue. I remember to this day reading Doug's blog post saying, uh, what was it, Spark will become the compute engine of choice. Um, yeah, of yeah. And we all think, wow, that was quick. Yeah, sort yeah. Of technology lasted, I don't know, five years or something. And we still have plenty of pig in production and and hive stuff. Um, yeah, obviously, actually, if only we have a, working on migrating a lot of that stuff now either to hive on spark or straight into scala yeah um, but yeah it's it's sort of the the organizations like yourselves and and i always remember only probably only about a year and a half ago a session from um yahoo in the u.s as they were back then talking about you know the overall distribution of their workloads across clusters and the still horrifically large amount of map produce that they were executing on a daily basis and it was just this stuff has been around for a long time and and you know it works okay maybe it's not the most optimal uh, and you know maybe they could spend time you know coding stuff and they were slowly working their way through some of it to move it to you know, things like Hive on Tez. Uh, I think they started looking at Hive on LLAP. 
Um, but you know, they had they still had such a lot of that produced just because it, it worked and it worked back then and it was kind of fit for purpose back then and you know that there was no immediate sort of reason to change it. Yeah, and it's actually if you think about it from a resource scheduling point of view, um, if you have workloads that are flexible in when they execute, give mm-hmm. or take a few minutes, um, that actually makes you know utilization um, that helps maximize utilization because you can you can let them sit in the queue and on our our production clusters, you know we see. Yeah. Uh, queues building up, and we we monitor that sort of stuff. But it's very, um, it's you know, it's a positive behaviour where people can say, "Well, I'm expecting this thing to take an hour if it takes, um, uh, or you know, I expect on average it takes forty minutes. But if it takes forty-seven minutes, then you know, it's not going to kill us. Well, that, you know, that means mm-hmm. that we can fit in some. You know, we have jobs that are much more urgent. We have jobs that you know run every sixty seconds or thirty seconds and have to complete in. Uh, in in a very few seconds, so being able to um, get on and do the urgent stuff and, and queue up the less urgent stuff, it makes for a good overall utilization. Yeah, yeah. So, so being a, a member of the Green Elephant, there's not much I can talk about uh, that particular um, situation that's going on. But uh, obviously, what's your what's your thoughts on the uh, the Red Hat and uh, and IBM sort of uh, conversation now? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. So I think is it Red Hat have got that interesting kind of cloud abstraction layer, uh, which they've been working cloud. on as a proposition. Yeah, what was yeah. Um, They're rafting. Uh, yeah, but yes, yeah, it's, it's very early uh, early days. I think. Um, yeah, obviously the the IBM acquisition of of Red Hat sort of seems to be uh, you know, a, a little bit sort of throwing people through a loop there's a lot of um a lot of conversation about you know is this the death of open source and things like that which i think is just it's a little bit uh headline grabby rather than based on any reality i mean i think we see other there are other precedents with this i mean there's in in the linux space we clearly we've got some very mature distributions now so there is actually real choice yeah um uh, but if you look at uh, what's the other area I will put up? So then database area. So when Oracle acquired Solaris, when was that, 2009 or something? Oh, as part of ago. that, they effectively acquired uh, MySQL. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, obviously, that was the spark that caused the creation of MariaDB mm-hmm. because yeah. people said, well, yep. we like MySQL, but we don't want to have um, a open source distribution that is effectively competing within the same enterprise as the commercial product. And so they went off and formed MariaDB. And I think um, if there's enough um, people with a similar sentiment in the, in the Linux space, then you could see another similar thing happening over there. I don't know if it will. I don't know that community well enough, but I think there are precedents for uh, open source um, managing to sustain itself. Yeah, we had a talk about that, Dave and I, in our previous episode. And uh, uh, my point was that probably Red Hat will stay with IBM, but what's going to happen with CentOS? Because CentOS and MySQL has a is more correlated, I think, than Red Hat and MySQL. Yeah. And in all of the press releases, yeah. uh, CentOS has not been talked about at all. 
as far as I can tell. Mm. And I would really hate us to lose Larry Santos because I use it a lot. <laughs> yes, that would be a problem for every, a lot of people. You wouldn't be having yeah. this conversation without Santos, I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Nice practical application. Yes. So how about the, uh, you mentioned that one of the things you'd missed on the predictions was the the sort of the move to to cloud or cloud being so uh, all pervasive in in today's conversations um, is there sort of something you know something you think that that has been the the particular catalyst there that's that's made it become so prevalent in your view so there's there's the obvious um, if you are a startup or a small enterprise, the question of well, why wouldn't you? Um, mm. If you're if you're just starting up and you go to a VC and say, oh, part of our four million dollar funding round, we need another half a million to build out an IT infrastructure team. Um, you know that's not going to fly. So there's just that you know commercial reality. Um, yeah, and I think the cloud providers. Uh, matured very rapidly and they uh, have very good people delivering very good services they do obviously they do have outages but um you know i would think it'd be a brave person to say i could do better configuration management than the likes of uh, amazon or microsoft so mm. uh, that i think there's a kind of inevitability of it to a certain extent um uh and i think we're perhaps having slightly more considered and grown up discussions about security and those kind of things where um, you need to understand that actually the cloud provider security is only at most half of the story. The rest of it is down to the actual the customer, the client of the services. Your own sort of processes, procedures and that sort of thing. Exactly. And also I think – Hmm. I want to find a nice, delicate word, but, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> shall we say naivety, possibly carelessness? You could yeah, find lots of other yeah. words in that space. But, you know, the number there have been a number of very public bucket exposures off S3 yeah. where people have clicked the um, exposed to the internet button. Um, uh, and, you know, that's – I guess that's what the one thing that um, – as long as you understand that and the risk of doing that and you train everybody, yeah. um, then, you know, that's not their security is not a problem. But that's something that Amazon can do nothing about if, if the client decides to click on a button and expose the data set. Yeah. I mean, and let's face it, organizations are perfectly capable of uh, exposing their own data on the internet without the help of a cloud provider as well. You don't need, need to. In, indeed. Every, yes. every week, yes. certainly, you see a new sort of uh, data breach mentioned. And the, I, yeah. I don't know whether it's become more prevalent or it's just uh, regulations uh, like GDPR have just shone a in, harsher in, in, light on things. In GDPR, there is a requirement to uh, – I can't remember the exact clause in the articles, but um, there is a requirement to, to be more proactive with regards to notifications. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think, I think we are definitely seeing an impact to that. Uh, it's not – I'm sure the growing cyber threat is growing, but definitely yeah. there is a, a need to increase transparency through the regulation, which I think is a very good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why we're starting to see more of these um, in the papers. Yeah, very much so. 
Yeah, I think, I think it's a bit like the, the open source idea where everybody can look at the code so it becomes more 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 stringent, more more secure because people look at it by making these data breaches more public, people become aware and will close their security loops, their gaps a bit more and maybe we'll have less security breaches in the future. Uh, absolutely. I, you know, I know, I know uh, multiple people in multiple telcos um, uh, after the talk talk breach, uh, which mm. is to do with an exposure of bank account details, which mm-hmm. were not covered by PCI D- DSS, which is specifically about payment cards. Yeah. But uh, a lot of telcos, everybody went around and said, ah, maybe we should treat this data the same as we treat bank card data. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> And there, you know, there are well-established patterns for that, and we have fewer breaches around that because um, the, the clues in the name DSS data security standards, uh, and, yeah. they, and they and they order, and they had their own auditing mechanism, which we still reg- everybody that deals with payment cards regularly gets audited. So um, that's why that particular area of of data was generally better treated, shall we say? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Well, I'd like to really thank you for mm-hmm. uh, for joining us on our thir- three-year anniversary recording for the uh, the podcast. It's been uh, it's been great to have you on, and great to you to share some of your insights with the audience. Well, thank you, and I look forward to uh, uh, the next anniversary and and possibly a special edition. On the merged elephant, I'm sure when that comes out of the other side of whatever restrictions it's on. So you uh, can thank bet. you very much, you guys. Bet. No thank problem you, at all. Well, and good luck tomorrow. Thanks very much. Yeah, have a great yes, panel you. session and a great uh, yes. a great session as well. Cool. <laughs> thanks very much. <laughs> all right, guys. Cheers. Bye thanks now. Lot, Phil. Cheers, Bye-bye. Phil. Bye. And uh, as as we said, hope you have a hope you hope you've had. A great uh, session <laughs> by the time people hear this. And travel is fun. Um, indeed. And uh, that's it for our uh, our recording. Thanks to Ward, Rohit, Sanjeev and Phil for, for joining us to celebrate our three-year uh, anniversary. And giving us enough, uh, enough, enough hope and will to continue this on for another year. Well, right? I mean another year. That's a big commitment. <laughs> that's, that's one more episode at least. <laughs> okay, okay. One more episode in the future should I'll carry us through the next decade, I guess. What, if we just replay it again and again and again? <laughs> <laughs> that's why we do podcasts and not live radio, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's why. <laughs> okay, I think, I think we're done. I think so. Happy birthday, Jan. Happy birthday, Dave. Well, that is about all the time we have today. I hope you enjoyed this birthday-sized <laughs> episode of Bite-Sized Big Data. Cake Unfortunately, size. there is no cake. The cake Aww. is a lie. But we will be back next week with a brand new episode. Until then, please go to www.roaringelephant.org where you can find more information, including a feedback form. You can also follow us on Twitter, mainly Yon, using the <laughs> at Hadoopcast tag. And uh, contact us by email to podcast at roaringelephant.org with any thoughts, comments, criticisms, and other feedback. Until then, my name is Dave. And my name is Yom. And we look forward to talking to you next week. Bye, Yom. See you then. <laughs>